Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for that truth of the beauty of your dwelling place. And I pray, Lord, that each of our hearts right now will be in your presence. We pray for the angels to walk amongst us and to be in our midst. Lord, we pray for the Holy Spirit to lead and guide our thoughts as we open your word. In your name we pray, amen. I don't know if Mark gets, choir for the, gets credit for the choir this week or Andre, because Andre actually directed the rehearsal on Wednesday, right? Yeah? I asked him how it, how it went. His friend Pavel, Pavel said, we'll see. <laughs> At least you have honest friends around you, brother. You know, it keeps you humble. So uh, we praise the Lord for Andre's baptism today. Continue with the theme from last week, talking about being involved, talking about witnessing. There are several impediments, I believe, to the sincere Christian's willingness to get involved or, or to witness. I want to look at a few of those today, the few that I probably hear more often than any others, except for maybe the one we're too busy. We're not going to look at that one right now. But there are a few that I hear most often when folk hesitate to enter into witnessing or hesitate to, to, to share or to speak up on behalf of Jesus or when people hesitate to, to become involved in ministry in some way. To illustrate the first of these, I want us to look at the life of the Apostle Peter, a story from the life of the Apostle Peter. And so if you'll turn in your Bibles with me to the book of Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26, and we're going to begin in, in verse 69. I want to let you all know while you're turning there that, that uh, Pastor Jason is currently working on the ability to have Wi-Fi in here. I know a number of you use your, your iPads and your, um, your cell phones, and, and we don't want to cost you money, eat up your data plans. So we are going to, uh, to make it so that you'll have the access to be able to get on your Wi-Fi in here and, and, uh, and be able to follow along in your, your Bibles, not games, your Bibles. Uh, follow along there. I know some of you, my mom, I used to say, well, someone needs to have a Bible. And then my mom started showing up with her iPad to church for her Bible. And you can't criticize your mom. So, you know, you got to adjust your tune. We're in Matthew 26, beginning in verse 69. And, and the setup, the, the context here is that Jesus has just been arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he is brought before Caiaphas. This is the first phase of the trial that Jesus had that night uh, that he w- uh, before he died. And he's brought before Caiaphas, the high priest of the Sanhedrin, and, and, uh, to, to be questioned. And, and outside the Sanhedrin there was a courtyard, and, and there were people gathering around the courtyard. They knew something was happening. I'm sure this was also just a place where people gathered. And, and, and in this courtyard, while while Caiaphas is being questioned, we, we know of at least two disciples that were out there, John and Peter. And we're going to look at Peter's story right now about what took place when he was in this courtyard in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 69. Now think about Peter in this context. Peter was one of Jesus' best friends. If you read the scriptures, you can see that there was an intimate relationship between, between Jesus and three individuals, Peter, James, and John. And Peter, so Peter was one of, one of Jesus' closest friends. There was many times that, that Peter, Peter was the one that Jesus affirmed, also some of the times that Jesus, uh, Peter was the one that Jesus uh, uh, chastised a bit. 
But Peter was definitely one of close, Jesus' closest friends. He was a follower of Jesus, one of his early followers, uh, one of the early followers of Jesus. He was a spiritual brother to Jesus. And, and all that in context, then we re, we re, what we read here that happened in this courtyard outside the Sanhedrin, it, it becomes even more shocking when we think of it in that way. Verse 69, now Peter sat outside in the courtyard and a servant girl came to him saying, you also were with Jesus, in, with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you are saying. And when he had gone out to the gateway, another girl saw him and said to those who were there, this fellow also was with Jesus of Nazareth. But again, he denied with an oath, I do not know the man. Verse 73, and a little later, those who stood by and came up and said to Peter, surely you also are one of them, for your speech betrays you. Then he began to curse and saying, began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know the man. What a tragic moment in Peter's life. What a great failure. What a colossal moment of caving in to sin. The gravitas of this denial is, is accentuated by a conversation that Jesus had just had with Peter and the disciples just a few hours earlier. You just... Go back a few verses in Matthew chapter 26, verses 31 through 35. The Bible reads, tells us this. Then Jesus said to them, he's speaking to all his disciples. This is just before he was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. We looked at just after he was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. Now we're looking at just before he was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike down the shepherd and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered. Verse 32, 32. but after I have been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. Now listen to, to Peter's response to this statement that Jesus has just made. Even though all may fall away because of you, I will never fall away. I will never fall away. I've learned that one of the most dangerous words to say in life you guys know what I'm going to say, right? What's the one of the most dangerous words to say in life? Never. Never say never, except in that sentence right there. We should never say never. I know a lot of people who say, you know, I would never commit that sin. I would never, I would never make that choice with my life. I would never do that. And I've seen so many of those nevers eventually cross that line. And, and I think it's, it, it'd be better for all of us to say, like Dwight L. Moody, but for the grace of God, there go I rather than never. But for the grace of God, there go I. But Peter says, no, even if everybody else falls away, I will never fall away. It continues on. Verse 34, Jesus said to him, truly I say to you that this very night before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And then Peter does it again. Peter said to him, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same thing too. I will never fall away. Even if I have to die, I will not deny you. And now, just hours later, he's fallen away and he's denied Jesus three times. Matthew chapter 26, verses 74 and 75. Then he, that's Peter we're speaking of, began to curse and swear. I do not know the man. And immediately a rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the word which Jesus had said, 
before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And then the Bible tells us, gives us a picture into the, the heart of Peter, into this, 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 the agony that, that Peter felt. The Bible tells us, and Peter went out and wept bitterly. Ellen White shares in the classic work on the life of Christ, the desire of ages, that, that, that due to this moment, Peter believed that he had forfeited the trust of service. He had forfeited the opportunity to serve Jesus. He had forfeited the trust that had been placed upon him as a, as a disciple and as a follower and as a, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I have met time and time again those that are, that are hesitant to witness they're hesitant to get involved in some way in ministry. They're, they're hesitant to step out and, and show their faith because of some failure in their life. They feel like, like because of this failure, they've, they've forfeited the opportunity to serve Jesus. They've, they've forfeited the opportunity to, to, to receive that trust to serve God. I sat with one individual at lunch back in California, and he was a deep and brilliant uh, uh, individual. He had a deep understanding of the scriptures and, and he was a prayerful man. He was a, a, a sincere and an honest individual. He was in love with Jesus. And I was asking him, I wanted him to stand before the church and, and share a, a bit of his story, to share, share a message with the congregation. But he hesitated. He halted. He resisted. Why? Because of past sin. Because of past failure. Things that he had long before confessed, as he shared with me, well, you've confessed this, yes. You've repented, yes. But I just don't feel like I can stand up then and share because of these things. He was still hesitated to be a full witness, the full witness he could be. I was speaking with a young person, encouraging them to be bold in their witness. So I talk to young people, a lot of times young people will come and say, you know, I want to I wanna say something, but I'm, I'm nervous what my friends will think or what they'll, what they'll uh, say. You know, they know me, I'm, I'm, I'm nervous about this. That's a, that's a very natural feeling. I can, I can tell young people this, or I know some of our high school young folk I see sitting over there in the South Porch and others of you in here. I can, I can tell you that, that adults even have that hesitancy. Well, they know me. What are they going to think of me? I have a friend, Katie, and her husband, Marlon, are sitting right over here in these rows. And, and there's the moment when you see, I haven't seen her in years, and she knew me back when. She knows some of the stories that, I, I'm very open, but she knows some stories that I will never even tell you all. And you know, there is that hesitation. Who am I to get up and say something? You know, they know about my life. There's that, there's that hesitation, and, 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 and young people will say, well, you know, Pastor, I, I, I will encourage them to be bold in their witness. They'll say, I know, but I don't want to be a hypocrite. Well, I'll say, how are, how are you a hypocrite? Well, I struggle with sin, so I don't feel like I, like I should be the one speaking out. I don't want to be a hypocrite. And I try to explain to, to these young people, I try to explain to individuals that, that hypocrisy isn't the one that talks about Jesus and still struggles with sin. Hypocrisy is the one that talks about Jesus while denying that they struggle with sin. That's hypocrisy. The Bible tells us that we, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Hypocrisy is when we say, you know what? 
You need to follow Jesus, and I don't even have a problem with that. I have no struggle with, with that at all. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 8. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 10. Hypocrisy isn't being someone who, who is willing to get involved, who is willing to, 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 to serve Christ in some manner and yet they still have temptation, they still struggle. That's not, that's not hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is saying, you know what? I don't sin. Failing to admit that they struggle. Yes, so many, so many are hesitant to speak up because of past failures, because of current struggles, because of, because of what people will think. Well, they know me, they know that I struggle with this. Peter thought he was no longer of any use to his master because he had sinned, because he had denied him. But, but Jesus didn't see it that way. Jesus didn't see Peter the way that he saw himself. Peter believed that he was, he was now rejected. He was outside of, of the ability to minister, and yet Jesus didn't see it that way. Turn over one book to Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16, where Matthew, just turn one book over to Mark chapter 16 and verse one. We are now on Sunday after the death of Jesus. This is Sunday morning. We're coming up on the time in which the whole world celebrates the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, Easter Sunday, as they call it, will be coming soon. And of course, we're gonna have a beautiful service here on that Sabbath, and I wanna invite you all to invite your friends and your family to join us on that Sabbath. There are two times a year in which people are more likely than any other time of year to say yes to an invitation to church. Christmas and Easter. So I hope you will take advantage of that opportunity. But here is that, that moment in which we're gonna be commemorating in just a few weeks, the, the, in Mark chapter 16, the Sunday morning after Jesus' death, when the Sabbath was over, Mark chapter 16, verse one, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome bought spices so that they might come and anoint him. Very early on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. They were saying to one another, one another who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? Looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, although it was extremely large. Entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting at the right, wearing a white robe, and they were amazed. And he said to them, do not be amazed. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who has been crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Behold, here is the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples, and then listen to this. But go and tell his disciples, and Peter... He is going ahead of you to Galilee. There, will you, there you will see him, just as he told you. The message from the Lord sent through the angel to the disciples, all of whom forsook Jesus, says to all of them, tell them that the Lord is going ahead of you. But Jesus tells the angel and has the angel deliver a special message for one individual and tell Peter, make sure you tell Peter too, that Jesus is going before him to Galilee. Again, in the classic work on the life of Christ, Desire of Ages, it is written, since the death of Christ, Peter had been bowed down with remorse. His shameful denial of the Lord and the Savior's look of love and anguish were ever before him. Of all the disciples, he had suffered most bitterly. To him, the assurance is given that his repentance is accepted and his sin forgiven. He is mentioned specifically by name. But go tell his disciples, the angel says, and tell Peter, the one who feels that he no longer has a place of service in the Lord's work. 
Tell Peter that I'm coming. I'm not telling anyone to just go out and brazenly sin. And I don't add that caveat for any of you that have deep struggles over your sin. You understand this. I believe that some, many times those who are deepest in sin don't need to be told that they're the deepest in sin. They know it. We know it automatically. But I share that with those who are worried about or oversensitive about some label of, of cheap grace. Well, pastor, you know, there has to be all these steps. Well, what I see there is a man who denied Jesus, who was brokenhearted, and that was enough for Jesus. Go tell his disciples and Peter. Those of you that have hesitated on witnessing in the past because of your past, uh, you know your sins, your remorse over your, your sin is great, and you think that they have disqualified you as a witness for Jesus, there is a message for you. Jesus wants you to know he's going ahead of you. Jesus wants you to know that there still is a place to be involved in his movement. There still is a place for, for you to have, have mini, have, do, do some sort of service or ministry for his cause. He knows your struggle. He knows your repentance. He knows your desire to be more like him. Let us, stop, let us take care of, make, let, let us stop trying to, to make ourselves perfect and let, let us let Jesus do the work of perfection and we'll simply speak about Jesus. You know, too many of us go around talking about the reasons why we fall or the fallings that we've had in our life. We need to talk less. We need to, as, as it says again in the writings of Mrs. White, we need to spend less time rehearsing our difficulties and more time talking about Jesus. Less time rehearsing our difficulties and more time talking about Jesus. There are several great impediments for the sincere Christian's willingness to witness. I believe one of those impediments is our struggle with our own sin and our struggle with past failure. Feeling that we are inadequate. Well, we are. And yet Jesus still chooses to call and use each and every one of us. Another impediment that I've often heard of when I've talked to people about getting involved in ministry or, or serving the Lord in some capacity or speaking up for the Lord in, in some manner is first, I'm not good enough, but the second is, I don't know enough, and the third is, I'm, I'm not trained enough. I don't know enough, I'm not trained enough. If you wait to be trained enough, you'll never get involved. If you wait to know enough, you'll never speak up for Jesus. Training is important, knowledge is important. I'm, I'm, the, I'm the product of a, of a professor. My parents were the first two to graduate college in their, in their families. Uh, some of the only two until, until their own kids graduated from college and a few of my cousins. But they're the first two to graduate college and uh, my dad has several degrees. He has a doctorate in education. I grew up on college campuses so I'm not downplaying the value of education at all. I'm not, value, I'm not downplaying the value of training at all. And yet at the same time, I know that so often this is an impediment to us. We've created this idea that, that you have to be trained in just such a way to be a witness for Jesus. That you have to, be, you have, to have just such a certain knowledge in order to, to speak up on behalf of Jesus. But you don't have to wait for training to get involved and you don't have to, to wait for, for a certain amount of knowledge to, to witness for Jesus. 
isn't it funny that at the end of the Gospels, one of the things that, that we read is that Jesus tells the disciples that there's more for him to share with them, but that they would not yet understand it. What does that mean? There's a bunch of knowledge that you guys don't understand, but just go out and do your work. Just go out and do your work. There are a plethora of examples of this in scripture and in history of people without much knowledge, without much education, even within the deep roots of our church, and without much training, change the world. The first time we see this, or that I see it, one of the most famous, rather, cases in the Bible is found in Exodus chapter three, and so if you'll turn back in your Bibles to Exodus chapter three, it's the second book of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus chapter three, and we see this. In the story of Moses, Moses, the great leader of Israel, Exodus chapter three, beginning in verse one. Now Moses was pasturing the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush, and he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. So Moses said, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight, why this bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to look, God called him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. Does anyone else see Charlton Heston as I'm reading this? He also said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters, for I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Amorite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. Now behold the cry of the sons of Israel has come to me. Furthermore, I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians are oppressing them. Therefore, now listen to this, therefore, come now, and I will send you, Moses, to Pharaoh, so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? Moses questions God's call. Who am I that I should go? I'm not the right person, God, for this task. It's not for me to go. God assures him that, that he, Moses, that he will be with him. But Moses balks again, and I paraphrase here, when Moses says, what am I just supposed to show up and say I'm sent to deliver you? Who do I say sent me? There's a statement of, or a question of lack of knowledge, right? Well, I don't have the knowledge to be involved. Who do I say sent me? Moses asked the question of God. Who, I, I don't know, I don't know anything about this. Who, who do I say sent me? God tells him, say I am that I am sent you. Some of us, that's the, all the information we had. We'd never say a single word. Isn't that true? I mean, if, if God said to us, I want you to go and I want you to stand before the President of the United States and I want you to speak on my behalf, God, who, do you, who should I say sent me? 
Say, I am that I am sent me. Wait a second, that's, there's no bullet points in that. That's not enough information. Say, I am that I am sent you. Moses box again, Exodus chapter four and verse one. What if they will not believe me or listen to what I say? The Lord says, I'll give them signs through you. Remember the, the stick thrown on the ground and he picks, it turns into a snake and then he picks it up by the tail and it turns back into a staff. Or I'm putting his, his hand inside his vest or his cloak and, and it turning to leper, uh, it becoming the hand of a leper and then he puts it back in and it, it's made whole again. He says, I'll, I'll send signs so that they will believe who you are. But verse 10, Moses still box. Then Moses said to the Lord, please Lord, I have never been eloquent Neither recently nor in time past nor since you have spoken to your servant, for I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. What is he saying? He's saying, I've, I've not been trained for this job. It doesn't fit my giftings. It doesn't fit my skill set. It doesn't fit the training that I received. I love God's response to this. Who made man's mouth? That's it. That's what he gets. There's your training. God, you know, I don't know how to speak. I don't know how to say it. Who made man's mouth? Period. That's the answer. But Moses still box, verse 13. Moses said, please, Lord, now send the message by, by whomever you will. Moses wasn't saying by me. He was actually saying, Lord, I agree with you. Let's send this message. Let's deliver these people from Israel. I think this is a good idea. I want to affirm you in this decision. You go ahead and you send that message and send it by whomever you will minus one. And that one is me. And a lot of people in church don't get involved because they say someone else can do it or someone else will do it. A lot of people don't get involved in, in some service or some ministry because someone else will sign up or someone else will commit, so I don't need to. Lord, send this message by whomever you will, minus one. And verse 14, then the anger of the Lord burned against Moses. I wonder how many of us have, if not angered, at least caused some consternation in the Lord's heart for a lack of willingness to get involved, but because we weren't trained, or because we didn't know enough, Oh, that every person would have the willingness of a young man I met one day named Dale at the Pawpaw Church in Michigan. Any of you been to the Pawpaw Church in Michigan? See a hand or two. This young man, actually he's not really a young man, he's older than me. But this young man, this, this gentleman preached one of the most memorable sermons that I ever, can't really say that I, I understood it all, but that I ever saw. I visited, visited this church when I was in seminary my friend preached there, and I don't remember anything that he said. I can't even picture him preaching, but I know I was there with, with him for that occasion. But after him, when my fin friend finished preaching, the last song was sung, and some people, a few people got up to leave, but the majority of the people stayed. They stayed sitting. I found that interesting, okay. And, and, and you know, I've been raised around church enough to know that you just follow the people next to you, right? Like if people stand up, what do we do? Stand up. If people sit down, I better sit down. You know, a new church, new church, if, if you're an Adventist and you go to a new church, you don't even look at the bulletin, you just look at the person next to you. Oh, they're standing, okay, they're sitting, okay. You better hope you're not next to another guest or else you might be in trouble. But, but, but I noticed that people were still sitting, so I stayed seated, and I discovered it was because now Dale was going to preach. Dale on the, on the Down syndrome spectrum had severe Down syndrome. 
And the people there told me that later that he almost never talked, he almost never said a word outside of those moments after the sermon when Dale would get up to preach. And Dale got up and he walked to the pulpit and preach he did. I could only make out a few words, faith, Jesus, a few words here and there. But this young man, this gentleman had more enthusiasm for serving the Lord than anybody I've ever seen in my life. I noticed as I was watching him preach there that, that he was mimicking the gestures of my friend. He had been sitting there and he'd been watching, he'd been observing, and now he was mimicking the gestures of my friend as he preached. And, 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 and he would grab his Bible like my friend did and he would hold it and he would point to it. And then he'd bend over like my friend would, a little Mark Finley style. I love Mark Finley, I wasn't making fun, I was just. When you're in college, you learn to impersonate preachers, you know, in case you fail as a pastor and need to be a comedian, you know. But he got up to preach and he was mimicking my friend and he was, he was appealing, he was leaning forward and, and he was so passionate and there was just this intensity and I couldn't understand a thing he said but, but man, the passion with which he delivered that message spoke to me. Almost 12 years ago and I still remember that moment very clearly, that sermon very clearly. I sat there with tears in my eyes. He was sharing the message that he had just been blessed to receive. He was sharing the message that he had just been blessed to receive. I could see his passion, I could see his desire to share, I could see his love for Jesus. So folk that all of us were like Dale. And didn't worry about what our education was. Didn't worry about what our training was. Didn't worry about our history of who we, who we are, where we came from. But that we simply love Jesus and we're willing to get up and get involved. But we let our past impede us, I'm not good enough. We let our present impede us, I don't know enough. We let our future impede us, I, I, I have to wait till I'm trained enough. When really you can start to be involved, you can start to be an effective witness, you can, you can start to be an effective minister for Jesus with just one qualification. John chapter 21, turn to John chapter 21, the one qualification that is necessary. Back to the life of our friend Peter. John chapter 21, Jesus has now been alive for a while after his resurrection. He's connected again with the disciples three or four times. And in John chapter 21, it tells us that, that Jesus ate a breakfast with his disciples. A few weeks ago we talked about eating together and the importance of, of doing the ministry of eating with one another. And also with those I hope that we don't know as well, but I hope all of you are, are, are investing in moments and opportunities to eat with others for the cause of Christ uh, isn't that wonderful? Some of you love to eat so much, and eating is a ministry from God, amen? Not alone. Eating alone is not a ministry from God. Eating with other people is a ministry from God. We won't talk about what eating alone is. Jesus said to Simon Peter, chapter John, uh, John chapter 21, verse 15, Jesus asked Peter to go for a walk. Jesus said to Simon Peter while they're on this walk, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. 
He said to him, Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Jesus said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was now grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And Peter answered him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, then feed my sheep. Do you notice that Jesus only asks Peter one question? What is that one question that Jesus asks him three different times? What is it? Do you love me? Do you love me? It is the only question of condition that matters in regard to service and discipleship. And why says it's the one condition of discipleship and service is to be able to answer yes to that question. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love Jesus? The question is not about your past sin or your current struggles. The question is not about your present knowledge. The question is not about your future training. What is your plan going forward from here? The question is about your present heart. Do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus? Pull out your connection cards with me. Turn them over to the back. If you don't have one with you, deacons, if we have a few extra of these. Also have some of the Welcome Center. In this church, we want everyone to be active in studying the Word of God. I hope you're following along. We, we give you each week some, some opportunity in the bulletin to, to study along with a reading plan there in the bulletin. Maybe you're doing your own thing. We want everybody to be active in studying the Word of God. We want everyone to be active in, in, in prayer, personal prayer and corporate prayer. And we want everyone to be active in, in ministry, in, in witnessing for Jesus, in, in serving Jesus in some capacity. We want a church where everyone is involved. And it comes down to one simple question to everyone in the church in response to today's message. A response to, to Jesus who walks with us in this journey of life. The question that he still asks to each and every one of us. Do you love me? Do you love me? There on your, on your card on the back side of it, it says my response to today's sermon there in the left-hand corner. And there's that question, do you love me? And then there's a box underneath it that says yes. And I hope that all of you can check yes to that box. If we have some guests here today and they're not sure that they can check yes and they'd like to know more about what it means to, to not only love Jesus, but more importantly, what it means to experience the love of Jesus. We'd love to connect with you, and you can check on the box just next to it, beginning a relationship with Jesus. We'd love to talk to you about that. But do you love me? And if, our, if, our, if we love Jesus, hopefully each one of us can check that box. Yes, I love Jesus. After Jesus asked Peter each time, he said, do you love me? And then he said to him, tend to my sheep, feed my lambs, care for my sheep. Basically what Jesus was saying was, work in my pasture. Work amongst the flock. Do you love me? Then work in my pasture. Do you love me? Jesus, you know I love you. Then work in my pasture. Do you love me? Jesus, you know all things and you know that I love you. Then work in my pasture. 
Jesus says, if we love him, the natural outflow will be to get involved and to serve him in some way. Each one, it'll be different in different areas and different ways. But God calls all of us who can check that box, yes, I love Jesus, to say, yes, I will work in your pasture. We have there, do you love me? Yes. Then the next one is, work in my pasture. I will. And after checking those two boxes, I want you to look at the box below that. And if God's even been pressing upon your heart right now, that rectangle box below that, if God's even pressing upon your heart right now in some way in, you, in which you want to be involved or some way he's leading you to serve, I want you to write that in that box. And we want to help you get involved in ministry, both inside and outside of this church. If you don't know, you can simply say, I don't know, but I'm willing. I love Jesus and I'm willing to work in his pasture, whatever it may be. I want to tell our young people, some of our young people over here, this includes you. Uh, it includes each and every one of you. It includes our young families. We have our young families over here. We have our young people over here. Some others scattered throughout our young college and high school students. It includes all of them as well. You know, when, when God doesn't call us to wait till we're out of high school or out of college to get involved. God doesn't call, God doesn't ask God doesn't want us to wait until we've raised our family and we've got our career sturdy to get involved. The moment we know in our hearts that we love Jesus, that's the moment he wants us to get involved, to work in his pasture. So young people, I want you to, to fill this out as well and check this as well. And young families, I want you to, to fill this out and check this as well. Do you love Jesus? Then love his church. We, we need you now. Let us bow our heads. Jesus, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. Lord, some of us have hesitated to serve you in some way or another. Some of us have been like David. We've been like Peter. We've been like Gideon. We've fallen. We've sinned. We've come short of the glory of God. And it's caused us to hesitate in our service for you. Lord, please forgive us. Lord, may we rise up and live our lives as witnesses for you. Lord, some of us have used the lack of knowledge as, as a reason for why we cannot be involved. Some of, some of us have used the lack of training for reasons why we can't be involved. And Lord, there's so many other reasons that we've used. But Lord, we love you. We love you because you first loved us. And because every single day, you come to serve us. So Lord, may we hear your voice now. As Emily sings, Lord, may we repent of our hesitation. And may we live our lives to make you better known and better loved. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.